Thanks to Owen H. and Andrew M. for becoming our latest Fruit Bowl patrons. Recently, I had to go back to Kansas to help out my family, so I am thankful that I was able to dip into the Fruit Bowl funds in order to help pay Ryan Whedon to edit the music and do the final mix for this episode. We're currently at just $274 per month on Patreon, but if we increase that to $1,000 a month, I could afford to hire more staff and produce even more episodes more often. Learn more about all the different ways you could help support Fruit Bowl by visiting fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate. As we approach the end of 2023, I would like to sincerely thank you for listening to Fruit Bowl. I know the holidays can often be a rough time for queer people who have a rocky relationship with their birth family. In fact, you'll hear some of those kinds of stories in this episode. So to those of you who might be struggling, remember you can call or text 988 to access the National Crisis Hotline. And now, on with the show. I was in first grade and it was Thanksgiving and I drew a picture of a pilgrim with an open shirt and a hairy chest and my mother's like, you're so artistic. I was like, no mom, I'm a homo. And I was like, I have to tell you something. And she was like, are you gay? And I said, how did you know? (laughs) She was like, I've known since you were two. My mom was like, kid, you're a pussy, so you cry too much, like, you really need to get it together, because I don't know what you're going to do, but you're definitely not going to make it. She was like, so have you heard of this thing, uh, blow blowjobs? What, what do you think, what do you think that is? And I was like, we're not doing this. My aunties would always try to, like, talk to my mom, who really didn't want to talk about my sexuality, so they would just say, look, just say you're gay, so we can just kind of move on with our lives, and it's like, look, you don't know my life. I remember asking my mom later if she could tell me about sex. And she said, oh, just, just here, read a book or something. She told me she would rather that I be gay and happy than pretending to be straight and miserable. My mom is super fierce. And so if somebody is going to say something, she's going to say something back in the sweetest and firmest way that she possibly can. And I respect the hell out of her for that. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. Five years ago, I started interviewing queer people about their coming of age and the different ways we discover our sexual identities. Since then, I've presented four seasons of Fruit Bowl episodes that feature just one queer person's sexual history. This season, I'm picking through the football archives, searching hundreds of hours of past conversations about queer sex, and creating episodes that explore common themes and subjects from a diverse cross-section of queer people. My goal is to destigmatize and promote conversation about queer sex, and, in the process, reveal the strength, resilience, and fierce individuality of queer people, and, at the same time, discover what unites us. Origins, Volume 3. Mothers. The other day I was surfing through social media and saw a post that made me pause. It was a former Fruit Bowl interviewee, someone who is featured in this episode, smiling and embracing their mom. 
the same mom who they described as being unsupportive, hostile, and condemning of their queer identity when they were growing up. Like many parents of queer children, this mother just wasn't there for her kid when they needed her the most. I assumed they would never repair the relationship after what had gone down. But yet, here they were, in the kind of family photo you see all the time on social media. A mother and her grown kid, on vacation, somewhere tropical, looking like best friends on a fun night out. It got me thinking, collecting oral histories for football is a lot like taking snapshots, in the same way that a camera, its lens, and the lighting can change the way a moment is memorialized in a photo. So it is with each story that I collect for football. It's a snapshot described as it was experienced by the storyteller, along with the added perspective of time. Most of the interviews featured this season are a year or two old. What may have felt painful during the time of our interview might now seem less so. Relationships with our parents can shift and change over time in unexpected ways, like the faded and distorted color of an old photograph. Apologies can be made, bridges mended, and new memories could start to heal relationships that once seemed irreparable. Just a heads up, there is mention of abuse and self-harm ideation in this episode. My name is Andrew, I'm 31, and I graduated high school in 2007. My mom told me that she always knew um, I was putting on her dresses and her high heels and makeup and was performing. <laughs> I was basically like a baby drag queen when I was, uh, you know, three or four. And uh, she she always knew, you know. And I thought it was going to be like a big made-for-TV made mo- like moment where I was crying. And um, actually, I think I was nine or ten, and I was just upset that I was getting bullied at school, and she was like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I said, Mom, you have to pull over. And we were on our way to the mall or something, and uh, she <laughs> she pulled the car over. I remember it was, it was raining, and, and I was like, I have to tell you something. And she was like, are you gay? And I said, how did you know? <laughs> she was like, I've known since you were two. Um, do you still want to go to the mall? I'm Syra. I'm 30 years old, and I graduated high school in 2009. I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. I grew up in the suburban part of Wilmington, for sure. There is a city, Wilmington itself, which I loved. Definitely one of those places that's... Uh, that calls people call themselves socially liberal but fiscally conservative, which I grew up learning that meant that people will be nice to my face, but will do everything in their power to institutionally still fuck people over. <laughs> I was an only child. My parents were both kind of in, in college while I was a kid, so the communities around them were other students or other academics that they were learning from. So they were both studying at University of Delaware and I think my mom did her postdoc at UPenn. And I think they both, yeah, they both got along with me better than each other for a lot of the time. So I spent a lot of time with each of them more than we all kind of did a lot of things as a family. It was very hetero looking back, actually, yeah. Yeah, there was no adult in my immediate vicinity that was openly queer. My mother was a model in the 70s, and so she had had a lot of queer people around her at a different point in her life. 
um, which I think was to my benefit growing up, but nobody when I was a kid was around. It's hard to track when I first found out about the idea of sex because my mom was very sex positive. She was the one kind of in control of what media I was allowed to consume. She was much quicker to kind of hide my eyes from a lot of violence than she was to try and make me leave the room for a sex scene if it was like a consensual one. So I think by the time I was three or four, she had also had the basic like people have sex and they make babies conversation with me out of her being like, I'm a biologist. Like I'm not gonna tell my child about cabbage patches. <laughs> so <laughs> I think by the time I was a toddler, I understood. And, I, and it was one of the many times I had to be told not to tell other children things I knew. <laughs> so yeah, by, by the time I was a toddler, I understood that, that sex was a thing that adults did. I think, you know, around that age that kids are asking about babies, and I think I probably asked, or it came up on TV, and she just kind of told me that sometimes adults have sex, and sometimes babies come from that. It seemed really obvious to her. But again, she was in school for neurobiology specifically, but was thinking about the body in such a clinical way. And then from there, whenever I was curious about bodies, she would like buy me uh, like child level like biology like books and coloring books and things like that. So it just was another system of the body. She taught me about the respiratory system. She taught me about the circulatory system. She taught me about the reproductive system. Um, and it never really got sexualized until I was in puberty and having my own sexual orientation thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. Middle school was definitely the boys and girls separate, right, body talks. And speaking of my mom, this is a point where she also got in trouble with other parents for giving them some of these kind of books that I she had gotten from me that were about like the care and keeping of your body and puberty. And but she got one of those books for one of my classmates and was very swiftly ostracized by the, all the other adults. And that's when I think I started to realize the stigma around sex and the stigma around bodies is watching my mom get social repercussions for just trying to offer information to another one of my friends. She came to have a more, tried to have a more advanced conversation with me at a point where I had already kind of looked up sex ed on my own online. I had already kind of found porn that I liked and I had already kind of started to understand the complexity of my my orientation. And so she did a lot of just earnest, messy parental things, like just kind of coming up to me once in middle school and demanding to know if I knew, if I could define a blowjob for her. <laughs> she just was like, so have you heard of this thing, uh, blow blowjobs? What do, what do you think, what do you think that is? And I was like, we're not doing this. <laughs> I was like, we all know, I think was my response. <laughs> I came out very much by accident, almost every time. Uh, I've had to do it deliberately sometimes, too. But the first time when I was 11, it was very much that I got into a conversation with another kid who was, you know, being slanderous about bisexuals, as was, you know, very in vogue in the early 2000s. And I fought her because I was, like, 11, and that's the kind of thing that people get pushed on playgrounds for, I guess. (laughs) Child me decided. And I got back to my parents, and my mom was pretty sure that I was doing it for attention, which I have never understood what that meant, why I wanted to fight strangers uh, for attention. It's not me. My mom eventually figured out how to come to comfort and understanding with me being queer. 
She's a scientist in her heart, so she collects data. She tries to understand things, and a lot of things that might shock her upset her at first. I appreciate that she will educate herself and try and come to comfort with it in some way. My name's Carilla, I'm 28 years old, and I graduated from high school in 2011. I grew up in Daytona Beach, Florida, and um, I call it the dirty D sometimes, to be funny, but mostly because I think it's a town that's like a sleepy little beach town where people grow up and they don't really leave, and everybody knows everyone, um, and I just always felt a little like out of place there. I would say it's conservative. It's a really bit, it's like the birthplace of NASCAR. And so a couple times a year, like a bunch of people will just roll in with their Confederate flags and their Budweiser and just, you know, kiki and hang out. And it's not really the kind of environment where I felt like super accepted or that it would be okay to be gay. Um, there's also a huge biker community. And, um, you know, people, again, come into town and take over and it's like big to go to the biker bars. But, um, yeah, those people generally are not the most, uh, I would say, like accepting or, um, you know, liberal people I've ever met. I was raised by a single mom from Brazil. And to call my mom conservative would, I don't know if that's necessarily the right term. She was raised Catholic being Catholic and is really common in Brazil. She moved here when she was in her like mid twenties and um, had my sister and I and raised us on her own. Um, my father died when I was nine and I didn't really know him that well and he wasn't really in my life. So it was a pretty like stressful environment. My sister's five years older than me. We grew up together. I always like refer to her as like the sister I grew up with because I do have other um, siblings on my father's side. I kind of operated in this like dynamic where it was just my mother, my sister and I, and we didn't have a lot of like family friends. We had no relatives in this country. Um, and when we went to Brazil, I'm not fluent in Portuguese. So uh, when we met other family members, I honestly like didn't know what they were saying. And so I was often like in the corner of the room, just sitting quietly either like reading a book or, or listening to people talk, but it wasn't, I would never know what they were saying. So as far as I knew, there were no other like family members that were gay and there were just like no examples of like a gay person in my life. We just kind of kept to ourselves. And so not a lot of other like role models outside of our like family unit or like school. How would you define your queer identity? Most of the time I wouldn't, but uh, when I'm comfortable with someone, I usually say that I'm bisexual. Is your mom accepting of your identity? Well, so I'll be honest, I have never formally come out to her, um, mostly because I keep most of my life private from her. I've imagined the conversation in my head many times, and uh, I think that she would just say, well, you'll meet the right man eventually. Or she, she might not say anything at all. She might dismiss it or even pretend that she didn't hear me. So, you know, I haven't really given her the benefit of the doubt to try to tell her. Um, with the rest of my family, 
you know, I'm open if they ask. I did tell my sister um, a couple of years ago, and she actually confided in me that she's pansexual. So that was a really, like, lovely moment between us. Would you say that you and your sister are close? I wouldn't say that we're on bad terms in any way, but I wouldn't say that we're close. Like, we don't talk a lot. I don't think we know a ton about each other's lives. Um, There are, like, a lot of reasons for that, but mostly, like... We had a difficult dynamic with our mother, and I think that she was, you know, very interested in getting away from our family, and I sort of was also felt that way, um, and so we've just sort of, you know, gone our separate paths. Sometimes I feel like I've always known that sex has existed, mostly because I can't think of like a specific time when I like realized that sex was a thing. Um, I remember reading like erotic novels when I was like seven or eight. We were at like a family friend's house, one of the few family friends that we had. And he had this big box of books and I just loved to read. So I picked one up and I started reading and it was all about like, you know, the tumescent rod and the you know he laid me on the carpet next to the fire type stuff I remember that being very kind of distinct of like oh wow like this is what sex is and then I remember asking my mom later if she could tell me about sex and she said oh just just here read a book or something Uh, and I'm like yeah I read a book and I have some questions and she gave me a like a anatomical book, like a, here you know, learn about your body kind of book, and she said, "Just read it in here." Was that helpful? Um, I would say it helped me understand the logistics, <laughs> but not anything else. <laughs> what did you think was lacking? A, an emotional sort of context, or? Yeah, I think that it would have been more helpful, especially being a woman, if my mom was capable of having a conversation with me about, like, what are the reasons you should have sex? How do you make that decision? Like, when do you know that that's right? And, like, why do people even do it? Lots of reasons, you know, and you might not share all of those reasons with a child, but I think, like, ideas around consent you can definitely go through with a child. Like, Sometimes you might want to let someone touch your body. Sometimes you won't. And you can be honest about that and you can speak up about that. And you don't have to be afraid to say yes or no because sex is about what you want and not just what someone else wants. And I, I kind of think that was missing in a lot of what I learned about sex in my, early on in my life. While she never sat me down to explain what sex was to me, she did have very strict rules around whether I was allowed to have sex. Something she wasn't willing to explain to me, but something that I knew I could never do while I was with her. My mom's only rule in my house was no boys and no having sex until you're 18 and then you can do what you want. And so when my sister started having sex at 14, There was one day where uh, my mom was, this was back when you had landline phones and you could just like pick up the phone on the other end and listen to a conversation. And my mom was listening to my sister's conversation with her friend and I was seven. And I'm not sure of the timeline of like whether this was before or after I really uh, had gotten the anatomy book, but 
my mom was listening to my sister's conversation and she overheard that my sister had lost her virginity to an older guy in the back of his car. And my mom hangs up the phone and stomps up the steps and kicks my sister's door down and starts screaming at her saying like, you let him fuck you. You let him fuck you. And like, we're living in a two bedroom apartment and I'm downstairs and I just have to listen to this like horrific argument about how my sister had lost her virginity and how that was like just the probably the worst thing she could have done and my mom acted like it was the worst thing that she could have done and I just had to kind of listen to that that argument um and so I just always like thought sex was bad and like something that could get me in trouble My name's Deontay. I'm 34 years old. I graduated in 2004 from Rainier Beach High School in Seattle. Shout out to my aunties because my aunties would always try to like talk to my mom who really didn't want to talk about my sexuality. So they would just say, look, just say you're gay so we can just kind of move on with our lives. And it's like, look, you don't know my life. <laughs> We're not going to have that conversation. I remember that very vividly. I can even tell you the day it was. Oh my gosh. It was 2000, 2000 in November. My auntie, I ain't gonna say her name, but she came to my mother's house and it was the day of the election. It was the day Bush won. And as that was going on, she was like, oh, well anyway, just tell everybody you're gay so we can move on with our lives. And it's just like, shut up. <laughs> not exactly ready. My mom would ask, but it's like, this is my mom. I'm not telling her like, I'm sleeping with the person that spent the night the other night you know I'm not telling her that then I, then they can't stay the night you know my dad I think my dad tried to once but it was just it just didn't work out we both weren't ready <laughs> um I was 15 my grandmother was different that was because she's very very religious and I made her have the talk because I was like 17 and this is after my first time and I remember going to the clinic and they were like get tested you know and I knew to get tested like at 17 and I remember my grandma saying why are we here again I was like oh because I'm getting tested for STDs or STIs she's like oh okay well wait a minute are you having sex and I'm like uh yeah and she's like well with women or a man she asked and I said oh both and I just remember her sitting there like, okay, like if she could pull out holy oil, it would have been there. But she went to church with some of them people, so it just didn't work out that way. <laughs> Justin, age 48. I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, which is a you know, wonderful little town. It's a university town. Providence was a lovely place to grow up. It's a, it's a funky town. It's got a lot of a very particular kind of flavor to it. And it's definitely kind of influenced me throughout my life. My parents were professors, were academics. My mother and my father were uh, separated when I was six. Uh, and then my, my father married my stepmother fairly early, right after that. My mother ended up staying in, in Providence for a while and then moved down to Virginia. So I've been very much, my, I grew up kind of enmeshed in an academic life uh, and now 
after spending a lot of my life running from the family business, I am, in fact, an academic now. <laughs> so we all become a little bit more like our parents than we expect uh, by the time we hit middle age, I find. I grew up with a lot of strong women. My family was, you know, basically a matriarchy uh, on my mother's side. And queer women as well. My aunt, when I was growing up, uh, she, my maternal aunt, she had a girlfriend for about five years when I was growing up. It's funny, she ends up, she ended up not really identifying as queer herself. Her girlfriend was definitely a lesbian, but she herself never even really defined herself as bisexual. I think it kind of ended up not really working for her sexually, the relationship. But I had this, you know, I had a, a wonderful role model that way. And then my mother was also friends with a lot of lesbians and she had little dalliances herself, apparently, I found out later. Um, I didn't run into queer men until adulthood though. And that was a big shift. I, I don't know when I, when I encountered the idea of sex for the first time. It feels like I've always known. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's, I can't remember if my parents ever, ever had the talk with me exactly. My mother was very much a second wave feminist. I grew up in a feminist household. Uh, my grandmother was a, a feminist as well, and adamantly so, which was quite wonderful to have that kind of role model for with older women. And she was very much an advocate for population control and believed very much in, in family planning and all this stuff. So I just grew up in a household where it was understood that you, you know, uh, abortion right, abortion was a right, um, family planning was was a responsibility, uh, sex existed. Uh, it was also for pleasure. It was so infused in my in my kind of feminist family upbringing that I don't really know when. I don't have a, a memory of a specific time in which it started. I, I do remember that I wasn't sure about my own identity because I had erotic dreams when I was a kid of both men and women. And so I remember, <laughs> I was a very precocious child. I remember explaining that to my mother and apparently to, she she tells me that I, at one point, even to all the family members, that I went around a family gathering and basically asked, you know, asked everybody, would you be okay if I wound up like, how would you handle it if I wound up queer? I don't remember doing that. But I, I do remember that I was adamant that I didn't know, you know, that I didn't know what my identity was because I hadn't tried sex yet. That I've had erotic, you know, fantasies about men and about women, and I haven't tried it yet, so I'm going to wait until I try it to, to make a decision. Uh, that was my kind of stance as a, as a child. My name is Andre and I'm 31. Uh, I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia. It's a very military town. I think of it as like the nexus of conservatism because my mom was a Southern Baptist. She was in the Navy for 20 years. Everyone in my environment was in the Navy and it was in the South. So I think that's a pretty good portrait of what it was like. Well, my mom was a single mom. Uh, my dad left when she was pregnant with me. Like, I was an only child. She was the first woman uh, to be like a jet engine mechanic. Um, and so she was in a super masculine environment. And she was very much like, it's funny, like I think of her as like this like would-be feminist, but not really, like, cause she like in some ways, right, she was very much breaking all these boundaries for women. It was one, you know, this hyper minority. But also she like very much adopted 
this like crude, machoistic attitude, right? So I remember from a young age, like people sometimes are like, did you ever feel pressure to go into the military? And I was like, no, not at all. My mom was like, kid, you're a pussy, so you better. <laughs> She's like, she'd always be like, you know, you're a pussy, you cry too much, like you really need to get it together because I don't know what you're going to do, but you're definitely not going to make it. <laughs> You know, toughen up. So there was this very, like, tough love kind of thing um, in my environment. And so I knew from a young age that, like, the military was not going to be an appropriate route for me. But I had no idea what that would mean or where that would take me. Like, looking back, like, retroactively, I think people have just assumed I was gay, like, my entire life. Like, there was never a point in my life when anyone thought I was straight. So... I really liked to read and to draw and so I had this like very vivid sort of imagination and this creative outlet but also spent a lot of time by myself. Um, I was super isolated. I think that's often true of queer people. All right, it's like we get to like develop these like rich inner lives that we don't necessarily have the opportunity to share with other people. I didn't really know how to make friends. Like my mother's like a very um, insular person and doesn't really have friends. And so it was never really modeled to me. Like, um, like maybe there were two people who came over to our house like in my entire childhood. Mm. She wanted to keep people at a distance and she didn't really want to engage like socially. So, mm-hmm. and I also wasn't allowed to go to other people's houses. Like she was super overprotective. And so I think it was, like, a combination of, like, internal and external forces were just, like, I had no social skills. I didn't really understand, like, how to relate to people or, like, like, I think I was also, like, a little um, asshole. <laughs> like, I think I was a little, like, kind of like a know-it-all, right? Like, I was, like, really smart, and I was just, like, I don't know why people don't want to be my friends. I'm so much smarter than them. They should obviously want to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Steven. I am 50 years old and I graduated high school in 1987. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Tucson is liberal as far as the state of Arizona goes, but uh, my experience growing up was getting my ass kicked by a bunch of rednecks on a regular basis. So I'd say it was fairly conservative, especially growing up gay in the 80s. I grew up an only child. Uh, with my mom and whatever boyfriend she had. She was pretty liberal. I called her a hippie redneck because she smoked a lot of pot and we grew it in our backyard. But you know, she's also a little reactionary politically. So my parents got divorced when I was three and around 10, my dad remarried and first he moved to Houston. And then uh, a couple years later, they relocated to Ventura and Ojai in California. I'd spend my school year in Tucson and then I would escape the heat to California as a teenager and it was like the coolest thing ever. I got to listen to Prince and Grace Jones and like hang out on the beach with all these cool new romantic homo teenagers around and then I'd have to go back to my shit kicking town where no one understood my new haircut or my new clothes. <laughs> it wasn't obvious to me growing up, but my Aunt Helen is a total lesbian. And she lived with the same woman for decades. And you know that thing where adults 
can see the little homo in you before you know who you are. Aunt Helen totally knew I was the gay one in the family. So she would give me extra money at Christmas and try to support me that way. And then later when I was an adult, that's when I figured it out, Aunt Helen was gay. Then when I told my dad that I was gay around age 20, he confessed to experimenting in college. So I'm gonna say it goes back multiple generations. <laughs> when I was 19, I got a boyfriend and I was still living at home. And I remember one time my mom walked into my room while I was giving Richard a back rub, which is not something most teenage boys do for one another. And so she took one glance and turned around and closed the door. Um, I told her probably six months later that I was gay and she knew already. Um, she was okay with it. It took her a couple of years to come around, honestly. But when she did come around, she told me she would rather that I be gay and happy than pretending to be straight and miserable. Now she loves her gay son. I told my dad I was gay also around that same time when I was 19 and he was super cool about it. Turns out he had kind of known since I was a kid anyways. It's a little weird, but uh, he wanted me to know how much he loved me and said, if you, if you get AIDS, you can always come home and die with us, which was fucking weird, but also so cool to know that my father loved me that much. My name is Ari, I am 33, and I graduated high school in 2006. Until I was 10, we lived in, my family lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or just outside of there, a little tiny, you know, suburb, very white and middle class. And then when I was 10, we actually moved to Tucson, Arizona, um, which was a hell of a a cultural shift, you know, the Midwest is very like polite and and then we moved to Tucson and it was definitely more like just like kind of a harder scene and um, not like this feeling of neighborliness and ultimately it was really good for me. It kind of like brought me out of my shell and I I felt like I fit in more there. Like I was very shy growing up in Milwaukee because I didn't look like the other people there. All my classmates were like, you know, these Aryan babies were like blonde hair and blue eyes and like perfect. And I'm like over here, like total spaz, you know, like kind of hairy and dark hair and, you know, complexion and all this sort of stuff. So when I moved to Tucson, I was like, oh, I kind of, I look like everybody here. That's cool. All right, now I get to like actually have a personality. My mom and my dad knew each other from high school and they were together since they were like 16, I think. And they got married really young at 19. And then um, they were together for like 30 years or something like that. And then um, they had my brother. And then three years later they had me. Um, my family was very strict. 
almost like militaristic, very into the way that we looked and the way that we uh, presented to the outside world and also like Christian family. Like we went to church every Sunday. We, you know, I went to youth group. We did, we did all the things. We needed to be this perfect nuclear family and we weren't. <laughs> Unfortunately, we just couldn't get there, but everyone thought that we were, so. And yeah, my brother and I have never really had a close relationship. My dad was like, go to work, make money for the household and, you know, be emotionally void. And my mom was, you know, kind of sick growing up a lot. So I kind of played that caretaker role because I was the other female in the house. And uh, that kind of like was just the, the assumed role for me. Um, and my brother just kind of went and did his own thing and, you know, was just a, a young boy who was able to do whatever he desired, so, yeah. I was so extremely sheltered. I don't think I really got to understand that sex was a thing until after I moved to Tucson, because there was this, like, puritanical kind of experience in Milwaukee, you know, just outside of Milwaukee in this kind of suburb area, suburban area that was... Yeah, it was very Christian, it was very white. Everything was edited. There was no access to anything. The internet wasn't there. Sex just didn't exist there, right? And so when I moved to Tucson, it was like a whole new world because there was not this sort of like puritanical, white, Christian environment. And so I remember being on the bus and I, I'm sure I was 10, riding to school, and I remember these boys in the back of the school bus were talking, I think they were talking about maybe their older brother or something like that. They were very vulgar. They didn't know what they were saying. I was not a fan of them, but I was also very curious. It's like, what are they, what are they talking about? Like, what exactly is happening? And so I remember going to the library and looking at... I think it was just like one of those really big dictionaries, like an Oxford dictionary, and and looking up like woman, you know? And and it had like these diagrams like of a woman's body and just being like fascinated of like, okay. I mean, like I'd seen like my mom's naked body before, but I had never, my mom didn't let me watch TV that was, you know, had sex in it or the most that I saw was like people kissing and I was like, okay, ew, gross. Um, but I remember looking at these diagrams of bodies and being like, okay, so there's that and I get that. And also I don't understand the rest. Like it was like the secret that I wasn't in on. And I remember actually that boy came up to me while I was looking in the dictionary, that same boy, and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh my God, like he made me feel like I was like doing something wrong. So I like slammed the dictionary shut. And I remember he went and told the teacher on me and I got in trouble for reading the dictionary and trying to understand what a body was and what different parts of the body bodies were. And I, yeah, I, I think after that point, I was just like very curious. And anytime anyone said anything, I was like 
you know, like stuck like glue. I remember being like in fifth grade, so, but I remember being in one of the like play structures and somebody said something about a condom. And I was like, what is a condom? What does that mean? And they like explained it and I was just like, what are you even talking about? I don't understand any of this. And just being like a glutton for like, any sort of information that I could possibly get around sex. Being raised in Christianity, it was definitely like, you don't have sex until you're married. And I was like, yeah, you don't have sex until you're married, of course. I don't know what that means, but yeah, absolutely. Otherwise you go to hell, you know? And so I think throughout my my younger years, you know, especially getting into like high school and things like that. And I'm kind of like, oh, I kind of like, I feel attraction sometimes or like I feel horny or whatever. It was like, nope, absolutely. Like farthest I'm going to go is I'm going to kiss people and hug and that's it because I don't want Jesus to be mad at me. I'm saving myself for marriage, which now I look back, I'm like, oh, sweet thing. That's good. You can use that so you don't have to go further with the boys that you don't actually want to, like, be intimate with or sexual with. Probably when I was, like, you know, maybe 11 or 12 or something, it was kind of like, I think it was my mom, like, sitting me down on my bed and being like, you're going to have your period. This is what it's going to be like. And then you could get pregnant after that point. So make sure you don't have sex, otherwise you'll get pregnant. And I was like, oh my God, okay, yeah, I don't want to get pregnant. You know, and my family was like very judgmental of like pregnancy out of wedlock, Um, you know. There was never any sort of understanding that like there's pleasure involved in sex. I feel like in our generation there was just like, scare them straight, otherwise you're going to get AIDS and you're going to die. And I, and I don't know that, like, my parents knew much different than that either. Mm-hmm. I think it was kind of like a, genera- a generational thing. And also, you know, being super Christian and all this sort of stuff, they were just kind of regurgitating what they had heard or what they had learned um, to just, like, try and keep me safe, I guess. I guess it did. It also made me very unhappy for a really long time and think that, like, oh, I'm some sort of, like, sick sex pervert. That took a long time to, like, get out of my head, even to this day. Also seeing, seeing like, gay people or trans people or anybody in media is, like, there's always this portrayal of, like, deviancy and not deviancy in, like, the really good way that I experience now. You know, that's like, oh, being deviant is like a gift. That's like freedom, not like filled with shame about having sexual desires that are completely natural and wanting to experience my body and someone else's body and how those things work together. I came out at 19 and at first there was, you know, sort of like acceptance And then the next day, you know, I remember my mom coming to me and being like, I'm not okay with this. You're going to go to hell. I'm not going to get grandkids now. What is this going to look like to my friends, to the the rest of the family? Now I have to, like, tell them. And 
I left and I drove to this like remote spot out in the desert and I just like cried the hardest like I'd ever cried in my life. Just with that like deep, intense, like full body yell cry because I was so alone. And then after that, my mom went and talked to actually my youth group leader who at the time wasn't out as a lesbian. I think she helped my mom understand like, you either accept your child and have a relationship or you don't and it's gonna be really harmful. And so I think it's sort of like, it ebbed and flowed of these like waves of grief and for a moment, there was anger. <laughs> and I think they kind of settled on anger the more that I tried to, like, open myself up and understand my identity as, a, <laughs> at that point, a lesbian. And especially growing up in Tucson, it's a very binary place. It's getting better now. But, like, you know, I got spit on. I got yelled at. I got, you know, threatened. Like, all of these things. And that was just... That was just normal. That was just daily occurrence. When I got my first girlfriend, there was MySpace at the time, and we posted a kissing photo, and it was a big deal. And eventually they just sort of, like, ostracized me from the family. Um, before I transitioned, there was a long time where I was kind of, like, inching my way out of the closet and, like, trying things on. I remember at one point... I went to visit for Thanksgiving and, and my mom is very bad about like personal boundaries. And so, you know, I remember I was changing and she just like walked into the room and I was wearing chest compression. And she kind of looked at me curiously and was like, what is that? And I was like, it's a, it's a binder. And she was like, why? And I was like, well, because I like the way it looks when my chest is flattered. She was like, well, you don't want to be a man, do you? And I was like, frozen? Because I never really asked myself that question. And so I think even though that was like a really judgmental, you know, question, it first put that thought into my head. I became extremely depressed when I was up at college and I didn't feel like I had any support or anything like that. And I remember just, you know, I told my roommate, like, I'm having really bad thoughts. And they were like, you have to talk to your parents. And so I, you know, I ended up talking to them and, and being like, I need support. And at that point, we stitch by stitch started to kind of like repair our relationship. Um, but it took, oh my God, did it take so much effort. I became really sick in my mid twenties. Um, I got Lyme disease. I ended up, you know, with the physical and neurological and all sorts of other disabilities, which I still struggle with to this day, but I wasn't being supported by them. And my mom was actually asking me for support. And I was like, this is actually like going to affect me physically. And it's either you or me, and I got to pick me. And there was like huge like pushback on that. There still is, and I still don't talk to her because there's no benefit to it for me. There's only really like hardship and pain. And that really sucks to not like have a mom that I can have a relationship with. 
I have a relationship with my dad. It's distant. We communicate maybe once a month by phone call and just kind of like catch up on like what the happenings are. I haven't had a relationship with my mom for six years. It's okay because I've got my own family now and I, you know, I don't rely, I don't rely on them for anything, for emotional support or finances or, you know, for lo- for years now. And if they want to be in my life, this is the person that I am. And it's a gift to you, ultimately, to see me living a really, truly happy life, which is what I would hope that any parent would want for their kid. I'm Paul. I am currently 61. I graduated high school in 1975. I grew up uh, in the suburbs south of Chicago, specifically Olympia Fields and Park Forest. My mom, Gert, was a very vivacious, charismatic, exquisitely profane woman, a lot of strong opinions. Um, I've got a lot of her in me adored her. Um, I was probably the favorite, middle of five. She treated me really well. My parents never took responsibility for telling me anything about sex. Not a word. There was no sex education in my school, but I can safely say that the information I got was credible. I got good information on my own. My mom and I could talk about sex. She died uh, six years ago, horrible cancer. But as the time approached, we just opened up everything, everything. And we talked in detail about Rain City Jacks. Rain City Jacks is a jack-off club. I'm the founder and manager. She thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, She was just tickled. (laughs) That's awesome. It was awesome. My name is Nathan. I am 37 years old and I graduated high school in the year 2000. I grew up in Los Angeles uh, in the Valley. And then in freshman year of high school, my mother moved us to Detroit where she was from. Single mom, only child. I I had a stepfather figure um, after my mom and my dad divorced during my LA years, um, but in Detroit. So from freshman year of high school on, yeah, it was just the two of us. Um, Five siblings on my mom's side tight little family unit. And when I moved to Detroit, I was around them more. I I was growing up around them, visiting. Um, I was already close with them, but it was an opportunity to get closer and be in in the same proximity. I have a gay aunt and a gay uncle. It is unique to have queer family members. I I definitely think it helped in my own process. I think that um, even as a a six-year-old, being around my aunt and her girlfriend, I don't necessarily know the context of Debbie's relationship with my aunt. I just know that it's a close relationship, but on some level, they weren't scissoring in front of me, but they also weren't keeping it a secret either. So that wasn't really necessarily explained to me at that age. Um, but I loved Debbie, and like she was another aunt. And it was, you know, I grew up as an only child around a bunch of adults. So the more the merrier, more people that were there to like 
nurture and, you know, have dialogues with me and, you know, all of that, the better. Um, and Debbie was great with me. Um, I don't remember my uncle's earlier partners as much. I remember them there being one in high school. But I definitely have context of, like, at a very early age, being around my aunt's girlfriend. Although my aunt did take me once at an early age to uh, the AIDS quilt, and that was pretty powerful. So I feel like she tried really hard to, like, step in and, like, show me things and, and take me to things that were appropriate. When I was 14, 15, I left a book that I had been reading, this Francesca Leo Block, one of those series of books that she'd written. for. It was kind of a young adult series, but it was actually more complex, so some of us had found it, and it was very queer in, in content, and a lot of us were reading it in high school. And she found a book that was a story about a coming-out process, and she approached me about it and, you know, basically didn't out me, but, like, one-on-one -on -one said, if you ever need to talk to myself or your Uncle Matt, we're always here. And at the time, it totally threw me and freaked me out, and I just was like, I've been seen! Like, it was like, it was not... And I don't know if that was on her or on me or what... Um, so I didn't really utilize that resource. I was also like a punk kid and like figuring it all out. And as, as we are at that age, we think we know everything. We don't need help and we don't need to, you know. And you start to learn as you get older too that there are different kinds of gays, just like there are different kinds of straights. I'm like, we're not necessarily the same kinds of gays. So the things that I'm dealing with aren't necessarily things that they're going to relate to. And I actually found at times my straight aunts and uncles were people that I could run those things by more so and, and, and conversely with other things that were that would be surprising. So they're great. I mean, my, my aunt and my gay uncle are great. It was great to have that. So many people don't have that luxury of having at least somewhat the way paved for them in their own tight family. My mom was accepting of my queer identity. I, I think that a lot was just unsaid, that was unspoken between us. I mean, I had my struggles with coming out certainly. Um, and I had my struggles with my identity within the identity, um, especially in the Midwest, where I felt like the identity was so specific. And so there just weren't a lot of options for other variations on that. So I fought certain things. Um, but I always sort of felt like until I had a reason to tell her, uh, I wasn't going to tell her. And I, I ended up telling her when I broke up with my first boyfriend and I came home and tears and, you know, we had the moment. Um, but it wasn't like an I'm gay moment. It was like, I broke up with somebody and she was like, okay, and that was it. So, you know, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't heightened drama or, you know, super difficult or anything. There wasn't a huge struggle. I never had to come out to my family. I never had to come out to my grandma. I just eventually had boys on my arm. Like, it was just like, okay, whatever. I mean, so, you know, again, very blessed, very aware of how blessed that is. I don't take it for granted. It's like being raised, you know, in a city that's multicultural at an early age versus being raised in an all-white neighborhood and then interacting with multiculturalism. It's, it's just a, it's a lovely blessing to have been raised around it. And you, you do see things differently. You do sort of have this lovely experience of, like, taking a lot of different things in at an early age. And, yeah, I'm sure that it had a huge impact. Absolutely. Jerusha and I am 31. Um, I graduated high school in 2006. So I grew up in a tiny little town called Puyallup with a little fair. Um, 
yeah, and it was a pretty conservative little town. At the time, I would probably say 20,000 people max. So not, not super tiny, but also not super large. I've heard from my parents that are still there um, that it's getting more liberal, but definitely conservative at the time. My family was pretty straightforward. Um, my mom basically worked during the day. My dad worked at night, so it was mostly my mom and I. Um, and then my grandma was around all the time. Um, those three people in my family are very liberal. Um, mostly the rest of my family is mostly conservative. As far as my queer identity goes, my parents were mostly accepting. My mom was scared because of how conservative everything was. Um, she was just scared for my safety, but she was fine with the actual being gay thing. Um, my grandma, her response to me coming out to her was, and. Um, and then my dad, it's just, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it a lot, so it's just one more thing we don't talk about. I mean, he knows, but he's just not, we're just not very close. My mom had to talk with me. Um, at this point, my mom and I laugh about it, but um, she just basically said, so sex is fun, and it can be very fun, um, just keep an eye out and watch out be for yourself because sometimes some things can, you know, be a lifelong consequence. And she was just like, otherwise, you know, have fun with it. We definitely talked about HIV. One of my grandma's uh, friends uh, had AIDS and he got AIDS back in the 80s. And so, um, and he was on those old retro, like anti-retrovirals where he, like his face just sunk in and stuff. And so I asked my grandma one time when I was young, like, um, why does he look like a skeleton? And so then that was when they started telling me, like explaining like what that was. And just, you know, it was very young when, it, when I asked, but just progressively as I got older, they would explain a little bit more and give a little more context. I think it was easier for my grandma to explain it just because she worked as a, essentially a visiting nurse uh, thing back in the 80s. Um, so it was like the original hospice kind of idea. And uh, so she had a lot of HIV and AIDS patients. So for her, it was just like explanation number 642. <laughs> Kenny, and I'm 30 years old. I grew up all over the place. I've lived about more than 10 states, but I grew up most of my life in Kansas. I lived in a lot of small towns in Kansas, like all over the place, throughout grade school, middle school. These small towns, everyone's white. Uh, everyone goes to church. It's um, definitely a way of life. And to say that it's conservative is probably an understatement, but uh, not conservative just politically, but in, in culture and ideology and, of course, sexuality and, yeah, it's a very red state in more ways than one. But Hutchinson, I spent all of high school. It was a bigger town of, I think, just under 30,000 people. My parents divorced when I was about four years old, and um, I've never been close with my father's side of the family, so it's always been my mom's side of the family. 
But on my father's side, I have two half-brothers and a half-sister, but I'm not close with them. So essentially, I was raised an only child by my mom. My mom didn't have the talk with me. Growing up, she worked a lot of jobs, and she was really, really busy. So I became a very independent kid. Like, I would get myself ready for school, and I would make myself lunch and uh, to take to school, that type of thing. And I think my mom just doesn't have the best communication skills didn't and doesn't have the best communication skills to even have that type of conversation. So I didn't have a sex talk. I didn't have birds and bees or anything like that. My mom and I have kind of similar tastes in men. <laughs> so I always found like, uh, like the men she was dating, I found attractive in the sense that like they had hairy chests and they were masculine, um, from what I perceived as masculine. And, uh, I just found that. I was like, wow, I can't wait to like be like that someday. So I feel like there was crush elements within that. Idolization or eroticism? I don't, I don't know. I always felt that if there were anybody to be accepting of my family, it would be my mom. Because she was such the black sheep of her family. She was such a rebel. She was smoking cigarettes and sneaking out of the house. And like she grew up doing drugs. And like I knew about all these things. And she ran away from home. But I could never place a queer understanding or how she would, um, I guess, respond to anything gay. My mom was a bartender for a long time and she would always get hit on by women because there's a lot of lesbians in Kansas. <laughs> um, and my mom would take it in stride. She would think it as a compliment, but she'd be like, oh, no, no thanks, I'm not interested. And then Will and Grace is on TV, Ellen's on TV, and my mom, she was okay with those gay characters. So it was my understanding <laughs> at that time that my mom was going to be a little bit more open once I realized that I was gay. My mom and I had been pretty close growing up, and I would really removed myself. I stayed in my room. I was just really in a dark place with who I was and trying to figure out, was I into men? Was I into women? Like, what did I want? And who was I? And I stopped talking to her, and she confronted me one day. Are you on drugs? Are you drinking? Like, what's going on? We never talk anymore. And I remember her saying, kind of offhand, scoffingly, um, it's not like you're gay, is it? And at this time, I'm like crying because I knew it's bubbling up and I, it had to come out. So I'm sobbing and I say yes. Um, I could only say yes. And she said, sick, get out. So um, I packed like two trash bags worth of like like my clothes and a, my backpack. And uh, yeah, I like loaded up my car and I drove. <laughs> Kansas has a lot of open space. So sometimes driving is a little bit therapeutic for us that grow up in small towns or rural areas. So like I just drove really until I needed gas. So I drove for hours and just crying, listening to music. <laughs> and um, eventually circling back to work because I was a, shift supervisor at Blockbuster at the time. <laughs> so um, I went to work and I just went in the back office and I just chilled there, um, just kind of collecting my thoughts. So for about a week, I was living out of my car and I would like wash up at work and shower at some friend's house until I finally told my boyfriend what had happened. And then I moved in with him until my freshman year of college started. And I didn't speak to my mom for six months after I came out and then then we had a big fight and then it was about a year since I talked to her again then we had another big fight and uh, it was another year that we didn't speak 
34 and I graduated high school in 2006. I grew up in Mount Vernon, it's about an hour from Seattle and an hour from the Canadian border. I guess it depends on how you define small town. I actually grew up in Conway, which is a small town. It has a fish store, a post office, two gas stations, and a, the Conway pub. So it is definitely a small town and it's close to Mount Vernon, which everyone knows about because of the queer people know about it because the co-op and everyone else knows about it because the Tulip Festival because it's like a national festival. So people go from all over to go there. It's kind of a strange community. It is definitely an agriculturally based community. It's like big farm families. I grew up with a lot of farm families. It is definitely conservative. There's like small liberal pockets like the co-op and apparently it's getting gayer. My mom likes to tell me that a lot because she hopes someday I'll move back there. Definitely not going to happen, but we do have a drag show now. It's at one of like the local theaters and there's two drag kings and everyone else wears sparkles. So it's, you know, they're trying. So yeah, it's on the conservative side, I think, because of the farming and it being more rural. I remember there was one person in high school. I think it was known that he was gay. I don't remember if he was out or told people that or if it was just kind of assumed but I remember he wore eyeliner, and that was, you know, a big deal. But no one else that I know of that was out there. We had one of my friends who is living there now who people would talk about as being gay, but, like, not to his face, and he dealt with a lot more bullying because of that. When I came out to my relatives, one of my cousins emailed me and told me that she identifies as bisexual. We've not talked about it since or ever but we did have an email exchange, so I think I have one bisexual cousin. My parents are one of those like miracle families, I think. They really love each other and have always really loved each other. Very affectionate. Yeah, kind of what you look toward is what love could be like, which is really cool. I think I feel lucky because we kind of distantly were churchgoers, but it wasn't a huge part of our identity as a family. It was more just for fun and community because my family's really social. So I think that saved me from a lot of like negative talk about queer stuff. I think there was definitely maybe jokes that I didn't fully understand that might be directed toward gay men. But I think it was more of like kind of this interwoven, really subtle homophobia that I can't pull any of them to mind. But it was more of in my extended, my dad's side of the family because they had all three brothers and so I feel like they just had to be really masculine and jokesters but I don't really remember talking about queer people at all growing up. My parents were really kind and so I think they weren't people to really judge anyone and so I think maybe that also protected them from doing that in the same way that I might have heard at church or at school or other places. My parents are also very much part of the social community in Mount Vernon and so I have to walk delicately around the ways that everybody feels about it and my mom honestly has done more work than I have for a lot of this stuff like she worked at the dental office across from our high school so she knows everyone she knows things before I knew them so she has come out to everyone in the valley about me which at first was kind of overwhelming but now I'm like oh what a gift you know, I didn't have to do it with all these people. And she, everyone loves my mom because she's the sweetest person. So it's a lot harder to be mean to her, right? And she's had to deal with a lot more of that discrimination than I've had to, which I really feel grateful for. They're still entrenched in that community. And I think my parents have 
lost a lot of friends over the last couple of years through all of the stuff happening, you know, with politics and the ways that people are talking about our community. And my mom is super fierce. And so she, if somebody is going to say something, she's going to say something back in the sweetest and firmest way that she possibly can. And I respect the hell out of her for that. Thanks for listening to Fruit Bowl. Excerpts featured here are selected from each person's full-length episode from previous seasons of the podcast and have been re-edited in support of the episode's theme. Want to know more about this episode's featured interviewees? You can find links to each person's full-length interview in the show notes of this episode. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video extras that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax-deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write Dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate, and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find links to all our social media at fruitbowlpodcast.com. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. That's me. This has been a production of Cubed Media. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening. <laughs>